0: Father, we thank You for Your Word. We're all under Your Word, including myself. And Lord, this morning, we don't need to hear my opinions. We don't need to hear my stories. We need to hear You, Jesus. You know where everybody's at. You know the plan for this local church. You planted this candlestick. You know exactly what it is that You want us to do. Young and old. I pray this morning that you stir in our hearts again for the call. To not keep going around the mountain the same way, but to hear you, Lord, and to make a change. Brother, we go out of this building today different because we've heard the voice of Jesus. Pray for that, Lord. May we hear nothing of, of me and only what you want to say. I pray that I would preach only that which you want us to hear this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Cool, so let's get right into it. The word I have for you this morning is get back to the great project and that that phrase comes from Nehemiah chapter 6 and I'll read a couple of verses from there but I want to remind you as the church that we're invited with Jesus into a great project. It's a great project. Can you say great project? project. I can't see your lips moving so you're going to have to learn some new language (laughs) but we don't get into trouble so you can use your hands and things like that you know what I mean people who can't use their mouths can speak so I can only see your mask so if you're happy put your hand up if you're not yeah there we go you learn this new language it helps the preacher and the people leading worship in Nehemiah chapter 6 verse 22 it says uh, Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message come let's meet together in one of the villages of the plain of Ono that's a place you need to stay away from alright whenever it says Ono you just stay away but they were scheming to harm me so i sent messages to them with this reply i'm carrying on a great project and i cannot go down why should the work stop while i leave it and go down to you four times they sent me the message and each time i gave them the same answer
1: they were hoping
0: if they just carry on with this message, come away from what you're doing, come away from what you're doing, come away from what you're doing, then at some point we'll take the bait. Now I want to say Nehemiah was carrying on with a great project because it was a project that God had put in place. And how many of you want to do something great with your life? You want to do something really great. Can I tell you what it is? Do what God's called you to do. You know why that's the greatest thing you can ever do? Because God is the greatest and whatever God asks us to do is greater than anything else you can do. It's not the the thing you do that makes it great, it's who asked you to do it. If it's the King of Kings that asks me to pour a glass of water and take it, it's way more important than doing anything other than what the King of Kings has asked me. Can you see why it's a great project? God's project is the greatest project you can ever be part of because He's the greatest God who requests you to be part of it. So Nehemiah is busy with a great project because it's a great God that's called him to do that project. What is it that God's asked you to do? I want to say there is nothing and no reason good enough to come down from what God's called you to do to do something else. There's nothing greater you can do with your life besides what it is that God has asked you to do. Secondly, what I see here is, uh, I mean, if you, if you read this, do you know Nehemiah is building a wall of a city that he himself wouldn't even live in? He didn't live in Jerusalem and others would benefit from he, what he was doing. And that's how God builds. That's just how God is. If you read Psalm 107, it talks about some people wandering in the desert wastelands. Finding no way to a city where they can settle. They were hungry, thirsty. Their lives every away. They cried out to God who delivered them from their distress. In verse 7, He led them by a straight way to a city where they can settle. You see, whatever God builds is a blessing to more than just yourself. It's a safe place where other people can go. And so the small thing that you think is so small is a great thing if God's called you to do it. And somehow what you do and what I do and what they do together becomes a place that other people can find safety and be safe. That's why it's great. Nothing. Amen. <laughs> Amen. get tired on me, man. Move those arms. And don't do this. This is like our idols thing. I don't like that. Is it idols or whatever? The second thing I see here is that there were people that were scheming to harm him. It was dangerous. And I find that the safest place to be is exactly the place where God wants you to be doing the thing that God's called you to be. You might think it's the most dangerous place, but it's it's the greatest thing you could ever do, and it's the safest place to ever be. It can be in the middle of a war zone. If it is where God wants you to be, it's the safest place. And so today I want to encourage you again, as the church of Jesus Christ, Jesus is, is on a great project. The greatest project ever. And I want to say there is no reason for us to get off that project. Anyway, off that project is down and is dangerous. Amen. 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 Oh. You're going to have sore arms after today, right? <laughs> but you've got to learn a new language. Maybe you've got to change with the times. So you know the great project I'm talking about is from Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18. When Jesus came and He said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given Me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is what we will keep ourselves busy with right now to the end of the age. And Jesus will be with us right to the end of the project. He will be with us all the way. And everything I do in my whole life, listen, everything, is going to be measured back to that project. It is the greatest thing you and I can ever do with our lives. I think the devil... He's older than me and he's understood that this building and doing the thing that God's called me to is a threat to his kingdom and so I'm not doubting that there would be opposition I, I get it but if you read really admire and we can use any building story in the in the in the Bible any building story if it's building something that Jesus is building it's a great project And whether you're building a wall or whatever part God's called you to, it's great because it's it's God who calls you to do it and it's going to be a blessing to save other people. And so you see in Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 14, um, when there was opposition, it said that then as I I looked over the situation, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people and I said to them, don't be afraid of the enemy! Exclamation mark! Remember the Lord, who is great and glorious, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. And when the enemies heard that we knew of their plans, and that God had frustrated them, listen, we all returned to our work on the wall. I get it, there'll be opposition. And sometimes we have to meet the threat of the enemy, but, you know, we can't keep focusing on what the enemies do. We've got to keep focusing on what God's called us to do. And you can see what what happens here. Sometimes you have to look things over. When there's a threat from the enemy, we have to look things over. We might have to change the way that we do things. I get it. And then we have to uh, uh, call together. Do you see what he says? A call together. It's not because he's a call to come together. It's the call of God calling his people to be together and united in the mission. I tell you, so much dividing people at the moment. So much dividing room for things that we should think of the things that bring us together. And then it says here, um, don't be afraid of the enemy. Friends, as the church of Jesus Christ, we cannot give in to fear. We cannot allow fear to determine whether we're going to participate in this great project or not. We cannot allow fear to intimidate us and put us off and change direction. It's the greatest um, project we can ever be involved with. Remember the Lord's great and glorious. Remember the Lord's. Remember the Lord's. Remember the Lord. He's great and glorious. Remember the Lord. When you look at yourself and you think, how can I do this and I have these challenges and my weakness, just remember the Lord. He's great. He's glorious. You look around you and you, you see what's going on and you see how people are behaving and the things that Remember the Lord's. He's great and He's glorious. Remember the Lord. You see, why I carry on with the project is not because I have the ability to do it. It's because He's great and glorious. And honestly, I I, I feel like this is for all the churches after the season we've been in. I have to remind you of this great project. I have to remind you, it's the most important thing we could ever do with our lives is give our lives for what it is that God's called us to do. Nothing can put us off. And then he says, uh, remember the Lord, fight for your inheritance, and then we all return to our work on the wall. I want to say there is work for you to be done. As long as you're breathing, there's a purpose. As long as you're still here, there's a job you have to do on the wall. What do we need then to, to get back to this? Well, Nehemiah chapter 4, I'm just quoting a couple of scriptures and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just um, talk about what Jesus is looking for when He builds. Jesus is a builder. He's an architect. He's a builder. He doesn't just slap things together. He doesn't just use materials that are lying around. He's an architect and a builder. And I want to say I'm so glad he's the architect and the builder of the church because he's designed it to stand during pandemics, during Mm. wars, during Mm. famines, during persecution. He's the architect and the builder. I'm so glad it's not me, but him. And he's designed it to be able to stand. And he's designed it to finish the project till he comes again. Nehemiah 4 verse 16, I'll tell you what we need. From that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears and shields and bows and armor. The officers posted themselves behind the people of Judah, verse 17, who were building the wall, and those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. Uh, But the man who sounded the trumpet, stayed with me. So, just four little things that we need if we're going to push through and get back onto this project. Number one is partnership. One half had to build and the other half had to carry their... their sh- Thank you. Schweppens. That's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> so, you know, recently I was in the suit and I asked the guys, how many of them... Have Samsung phones. Now, if you dare to admit, just put your hand up. Who's got a Samsung? Okay. So, hey, they were all showing me their Samsung phones. Then I said to them, okay, how many of you are in partnership with Samsung? Because you see, if you use their product, it doesn't mean you're in partnership. If you want to be in partnership, you have to actually invest. And when you invest, you share the responsibility and you share the losses. Hello? Yeah. yeah, I was chatting to another guy. And I was saying to him, like, it's amazing how people drive cars when it's a company car, and when it's your own car. <laughs> <laughs>
1: and I work,
0: I, I was, I don't know, government department. I tell you, you, when it's not your car, you just someone else has to service it. When it breaks, it's not your problem. You drive it like you don't have to pay for the petrol. You just, you just carry on. That's not partnership. You see, when partnership, you take ownership. You take responsibility. And in this local church, can I say this to you? you? We are so grateful for leaders like Ellen and Nikki. And I don't just say it because they're good friends of ours. Thank you God for men and women who have the courage to keep leading and keep us focused on the great project. Because that's why God's called us. Thank you. And the best thing we can do is to partner with them. And we might not be able to do what they do, but we can do our part because we all need someone else who can do the other part. I say all of this and you know, you know how right now the world is struggling with all this stuff right here. It's about individualism. It's about yourself. It's about caring about yourself. It's not about the, the eternity. It's about here and now. It's about what divides us. So I know what I'm up against here. Yeah? But this is the Word of God. The second thing I see here is leadership. You see they put the leaders around the most vulnerable places behind them, directing them. I'm not talking about management. Management and leadership is different. Leadership is making sure you put your ladder up against the right wall. (laughs) Management is climbing the ladder. What's the point of climbing the ladder all the way to the top when you have put it against the wrong wall? Yeah. We're not looking for managers in the church. We're looking for leaders. swordmanship, I call it. It's the best word I can come up with. But basically, everybody had to wear their sword. Doesn't matter what you did, wear the sword. Wear the sword. What does that mean? It means the Word of God. You know that. That means from the sound guy, Stephen, and his friend, Jordan, to... The people doing kids ministry, to the people greeting, to the people doing anything, Word of God, Word of God, Word of God. I'm not talking about YouTube. I'm talking about the Word of God. I'm talking about you and your Bible, spending time in the Word of God, allowing the Word of God to direct everything we do, everything we say. If you want to continue in a great project, you've got to wear your sword, people. You can't let someone else carry the sword for you. Everybody had to wear their sword. You can't expect Alan to, to just come and how many of you eat once a week? <laughs> <laughs> how can you survive one meal a week? Good. You know what you're gonna look like spiritually if you eat once a week and you're waiting for someone else to prepare you know the word for you. You've gotta get into the word i'm saying churches all over the place we don't need to preach what so-and-so and and famous let's just get back to the bible that's good enough it's it's enough god's designed it to be enough wear your sword whatever you do wear your sword we'll be okay and then (laughs) trumpetership there's no such a word but i'm (laughs) not making words Maybe there is a word. I don't know. Either. Maybe. The point is, you know, that I was reading, I'm reading through my Old Testament once again now. And and the trumpet originated from when they came out of Israel and they told everybody where to camp. And the trumpet would signal it's time to move or just the leaders come. The trumpet signals all the time. And what Nehemiah was doing is he said that the guy with the trumpet stay with me because... Leadership and this prophetic readiness to respond to whatever God calls us to go hand in hand. So if He blew the trumpet, everyone gathers there. If the attack's coming from that side, they blow the trumpet, everyone gathers there. What does that mean? It means there's a prophetic readiness in me to do whatever God calls me to do in this situation. And we need those four things. Does that make sense? Good. Wave your hands if it's an amen when I read the Bible I I see after the golden age of Solomon and David when Jerusalem was at its highest glories and then she went into exile for 70 years you you know the story right I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with that the first thing that gets rebuilt is not the city walls you know that it's the altar. Ezra goes and he repairs the altar. And that altar for me is like, is my heart. It's my individual, it's the place I worship. Because you can't change a community if you don't change the hearts of individual people. You know that. And once they repair the, the, the altar, then they repair the temple. Remember that. Then the church begins to take shape. In the New Testament language, we understand that the church or the temple is, is made from, from living stones. And I tell you, when the church, when our hearts, when, when we're back on this project and we're standing strong, then the walls go up because you see within the walls, people can do business and they're safe and they're secure. That's when communities are changed. But I want to say you can't do that back to front. You can't try and change communities without changing hearts. And we can't change communities without the church getting back to the purpose that God called it to. I'm messing around with yeah. everything other than this great project of making disciples. We're not going to see communities change. You can, you can have every other project yeah. and that can be good and wonderful, but if hearts never change, if the altar of individual people's hearts don't change to worship the living God, I tell you, it will deteriorate back into a chaos and a mess. And you know who's the only people who have the answer? It's us. We have the gospel. We have Jesus. So let me say these couple of words quickly. Um, scriptures. <laughs> words. In Matthew five fourteen. You are the light of the world. You are a city on a hill that cannot be hidden, Jesus said. Hebrews 11, verse 10. Um, it was... We, For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Can you see that? God is a foundation, God is an architect, God is a builder. The church is built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. No other foundation will do. We know that as we sang, Jesus is the center. We understand that. But in the New Testament, the only thing Jesus is building is what? Matthew 16:18. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. You know what? Um, a while back God gave an old nigh word. It was many years ago. And it went like this. Someone came to us and said, you know, God is sending you certain stones and they don't fit. And you keep trying to build on top of them and then whatever you build on top of them, they keep falling down when they fall down. And God's taking the stones and He's moving them outside of your reach. He doesn't want you to build with those stones. And you know what I thought when I heard that word? I was like, yo Lord, I wonder what kind of a stone I am. <laughs> Flintstone, no. <laughs> I was like, Lord, I wonder if I'm a stone that you can build with. Yeah. I wonder if I'm the right kind of stone that you can put into an altar of an individual life. Uh, a heart, and they can, you know, it stands Then you can build on it, and, and and I wonder, Lord, in the church, wherever, because you're the architect and the builder, I, I don't build myself, God builds me, and I build with Him, and that's the project, but I'm definitely the stone in New Testament language. And so I began to look in the New Testament and I saw that Jesus was building the church not only from Acts. He was building the church in the Gospels already and the way He was building the church is He started with 12 people and He built with people because we know that in the New Testament stones are people. Amen? Mr. and Mrs. Stone? Are you here There was a stone family here, right? Yeah. I know, that seen. sounds wrong. For those who are visiting it, they, they were loud. They were alive Not, you. Not, you. Not, you. Not stoned people. Stoned <laughs> <laughs> That's of those too. Guys distracting me, Sandra. One Peter chapter two verse four. You know this scripture. Oopsie. You know the scripture. It says As you come to him, the living stone rejected by men. But chosen by God and precious to Him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to become a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. Present tense, as you come to Him. As you come to Him. So, what I noticed about Jesus was, when He built the church, He didn't just take 12 people. And give them authority to drive out demons. Now, how many of us would love to see a move of the Holy Spirit? Ah, Sidney would. I would love to see the demons flee, the sick heal, the dead raise. I would love to see that. But you know what Jesus does is, what He first does is He builds character into them. Because if He doesn't build character into them and He gives them this great authority and power, they'd be the most arrogant people on the face yeah. of the earth. And I wonder sometimes for the church of Jesus Christ over this last season, if God is not bringing us back to this. Are yeah. we stones He can build with is the question. Jesus takes 12 people and he builds relationship with them, and he eats with them, and he meets with them, and he teaches them and he works with them, and he changes their attitudes. He's particular about their attitude. Very particular about their attitude. In fact, the first thing he does is addresses the attitude. So what are stones that Jesus can build with? We see this in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 1. One day, and I'll just read Matthew 5 and we done. Is that okay? Come in. Alright. Stay awake, man. Matthew 5 verse 1. One day, when He saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and He sat down. And His disciples gathered around Him. And he began to teach them. Now, what I notice is, there were the crowds. And they were following Jesus, but you know why they were following Jesus. And then, yeah, well, but (laughs) no. But what Jesus does is, he makes it even harder, and he goes up the mountain. And he sees, who are those who will follow me? And I realized that, I don't want to follow Jesus from the crowds. I don't want to be that person. I want to follow him up the mountain. I want to follow him hard. I want to go to where he is. And you know, sometimes this is, I think, what Jesus said to me Donnie, if you want to be a stone I can build with, come after me. Come after me hard. Not after everything else, after me. And you know, for them, he, he doesn't make it easy. He doesn't go down the mountain, he goes up. And they were like, Yo, oh, Lord, can we just stay here? And you tell me what you want to tell me here. No, he goes up. He makes it hard, he makes it difficult. You know, all the demands, all the time, all the everything, how you don't feel like it. If you want to be a stone who, who God can build within the local church, go after him hard. After Jesus. Secondly, um, and I'm just going to read through this. You know this passage so well. He began to teach them. So I want you to imagine, in a couple of verses time, after Matthew 5, 6, 7, Jesus sends them out and He gives them authority. But what He first says, He says, I want to make sure I can, in this great project, I will give you the power, I will give you the authority, but I want to make sure that you're a stone I can build, get your character right. And so that's what I feel God's saying to you. And to me. Matthew five verse three God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is this. Now let me just say I'm not I don't think he's talking about a poverty spirit. You know what that is? Let me not make jokes. No, <laughs> It's my kids' fault when jokes. No, you have
1: we, <laughs> we love jokes.
0: We love jokes. Anyway... Moving on. Um, Poor in spirit, what does that mean? I don't think God is expecting us to be like victims and orphans like Renal said. You know, like, oh, I'm, I'm poor. A poverty spirit is like, I can't do anything, I don't have anything, I can't make a difference. I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about realizing that we are utterly spiritually bankrupt as people. Spiritually I am absolutely, completely bankrupt. I realize I am completely dependent on God. For everything. Because I am spiritually bankrupt. Now that's stone God can use. And that's why I think I don't think it's it's about a poverty spirit where we say no oh, God can't do this and God is limited. No, because if I understand that I am completely dependent on God, then if God says speak to the mountain, I just speak because it's the same thing. I am dependent on Him, and if He can do it, then this thing can move. It's not small-minded. You hear what I'm saying? So Jesus said, blessed. He's talking to His disciples, his stones. He's building the church and these guys would be the guys that he would build with in axe. And he's saying, what I want to do first and foremost is make sure that you're stones that I can build with because this is a great project and we cannot afford to put you somewhere and build on you and then suddenly you fall down. So make sure that you're always running hard after Jesus. Secondly, make sure that we remember that we were completely, spiritually, absolutely bankrupt when we came to God. nothing could in me outside of what God has done. Why? I don't know if the church is quite there. I don't know if we're there. We've got to keep going. Again. And blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. This is what Jesus teaches again. Have you ever read these scriptures? James chapter 4 verse 9. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter into mourning and your joy into gloom. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 1. A good name is better than fine perfume and the day of death is better than the day of birth. It's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For death is the destiny of every man and the living should take this to heart. Now, I... I don't think God wants me to grieve because I've lost something. I don't know when lost you've been at a funeral. But I go to my own funeral often. I do. And I think to myself, you know what, if I had to die, what would I want to be like? And I better make the change now. Because in grieving is the only place where you take a sober adjustment, an assessment of your life. And you can really I don't think God wants us to be morbid all the time. There's enough in the Bible to talk about the joy of God. But I tell you, if if you never get to that place where you realize every human being will die, and every human being will stand before God one day. And every life matters. And everyone who doesn't know Jesus will go to an eternity without God. If you never take that to heart, you're just going from your one High to your next high to your next high. I don't know if Jesus can build with you. Is that alright? I don't need to make you sad. Just saying, man. Take it to heart. Take it to heart. Every person matters to God. Every every person matters to God. You cannot work with God if some people matter and some people don't yeah. matter. All right. Verse 5, Matthew 5, and we're almost done. God blesses those who are humble. So if you hear the message this morning. I'm saying to you don't get off the great project. Whatever you do. You need partnership, you need swordmanship, you need all that. But most of all, He's the architect, He's the builder, and He wants to build with you. And He's put you in a local church, that's what He's building. And we've got to make disciples of all nations, that hasn't changed. But how are you, sir? How are you, ma'am, today? Are you a stone that He can build with? Blessed are those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. think this is a promise for like one day. I think it's a promise for now. And humility is not um, some translations call it meekness, right? Meekness is not weakness. Because Moses was the most humble man on the face of the earth. And I don't think Moses was weak. But I think humility is often seen when people oppose us. Because it's in that context when Miriam and Aaron criticizes Moses about his Cushite wife, his Ethiopian wife, they criticize him for it. It's in that moment that we read and humble, uh, Moses was the most humble man on the face of the earth. I think a definition of humility is that we can be vulnerable without being weak because we know our strength comes from God's grace. Do you know what pride tells me? My pride means I want to always look good. I want to feel good. I want to be right. I want to stay in control. Personal advantage. Hidden agenda. That's what it is. Alright. Number next. Matthew 5 verse 6. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice or righteousness, is the word used there, for they will be satisfied. And again, I think, um, he's not talking about self-righteousness, and this is not legal narrow-minded, narrow-minded kind of self-righteousness. Because Isaiah 64 verse 6 says, we're all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, there are nothing but filthy rags. So you get what he's saying? Hunger and thirst for righteousness. Not my own righteousness, a righteousness that comes from God that is revealed and is by faith from first to last, because Jesus is my righteousness. So once again, a hunger and thirst for righteousness is a hunger and thirst for Jesus. Hundred percent. Well done to the spirit in the front row. How's your appetite for Jesus? I'm just saying for the church of Jesus Christ. How's our appetite for Jesus? Is that what we mostly talk about? Is that what we sing about? Is that what we preach about? Is that what what governs our lives? Is that what occupies our our thoughts and our hearts and our minds? Or is it other things? Because we've got to get back to this. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. And you can go and read those other ones. And I think I want to land there. I'll mention them. Blessed are the merciful... You know, you don't realize how important mercy is until you need mercy. And you're at the mercy of someone else. The pure in heart. Last one is peacemakers. Those are some of the things that Jesus says. If you want to be a stone that I can build with, those are the things He's looking for. You know, pure in heart, again... Um, I was talking to a group of men the other night, and I was saying James talks about being double-minded. And in James it says, "Purify your hearts, you double-minded." And James is the, the the book that talks about two kinds of wisdom: godly wisdom and earthly wisdom. It says with the same mouth you bless God and then you curse someone else, and it's this double double-minded, you know. And people go between one and the other. The problem is. If you are invested in two places, that's when you're double minded and you're unstable. For example, if, if, if I bought myself a, a house in, I don't know where, Nigeria. Nigeria, and suddenly South Africa and Nigeria go to war, which country would I back? I'm like, hey, why don't we why am I like that? I'm double-minded because I'm invested in two places. And being pure in heart means I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No options open. No back door. Nothing. I've made my decision. When I haven't, that's when I go up and then down. And then up and then down. You know people who serve Jesus like that. They're here. They're back. And they're here. And then six months later, where are you? Ah... And then Easter, Christmas, I'm back. Okay, great, you're back. In two months you're back, and then you're like, uh, six months later, where are you? Uh, <laughs> see you next Christmas, see you next Easter. I don't know what it is for you, but I know why you're living like that. I know, I know why you're living like that, because you haven't resolved this one issue. Who is it that you're following? Have you closed the doors? Have you, have you, have you sold your property? Not, not really. I'm talking about the example of me in Nigeria. Have you given it up? Because if you haven't, I'm telling you, you will keep going like that for the rest of your life. And in fact, you'll become more unstable in all your ways. You make a commitment, you can't keep it. Why? Because you have other things you're looking after.